Hello, Debbie, and uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for giving your time and energy and uh, just joining us here. Um, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself for the listeners so that they can get to know you and a little bit about what you're about. Awesome. Benjamin, firstly, thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm really, really humbled by that. Um, and I hope that this is a, a really great platform for people to not just hear about me, but some of the work that the charity that I founded um, is doing. From my side, uh, sort of a little bit of a background on me is I have first and foremost um, is that I'm a survivor. So by the time I was 10 or 11 years old, the time frame, of course, is a little bit blurred. I had been raped twice. I lived in South Africa at the time. Um, and a really important part of that is that it wasn't by people that our society was saying were the perpetrators. It was actually just by my friend's brothers. So that was a that was a start for me to, you know, if you fast forward the clock to now, um, in, in getting involved in this sort of gender-based violence space. Very naively, I thought that if I did martial arts, that I would, and you know, and I, I learned to fight, that I would, you, you know, not be raped again. Because at 10, 11 years old, I just thought like that's what boys do. You know, that's what all boys and all men do. So I didn't do karate as a young girl, but at 19, enrolled in a karate school in South Africa and just went ballistic. I mean, I trained six or seven days a week. Um, and within a period, I think of about five years, I ended up competing for the South African All-Stars karate team. I'm now a sixth dan in Shotokan karate. I host a number of world karate championships every couple of years. I have seven pre-COVID-19. I had 700 students and 52 venues. And but what was important is that that was kept really separate. I've I've not mixed my martial arts career, if I could say that, with this work that I do in the gender-based violence space. Um, I'm also so other than being a survivor and you know a martial artist that that has achieved quite a lot. I also have a master's degree in women and child abuse from the Child and Women Abuse Center at London Met University, which is a very world-renowned center with a reputation for research and evaluation and training and consultancy in the gender-based violence space. So I guess now um, at my age, I have a really multi-pronged approach um, to gender-based violence. Um, so that's just a little bit of a background on me that I um I think I'm I think I'm well placed to talk about gender-based violence just because of the you know the history of being a survivor and then the fact that I've really taken an academic approach to it um and really looked at what works and what doesn't work. That's sort of in a nutshell um who I am and um a bit of a background on that. Well thank you so much for first of all, having the courage to share that kind of information about yourself. But um, it's interesting. I think one of the other interviewees, we, we, we wound up on the subject of, of how kind of trauma brings us to these spaces where we need to, we feel like we need to do something. And, and it sounds to me like you've, you've certainly done a lot with your trauma I mean, you've used it for good. Um, so, so, so I'd like to know, uh, 
more about the outreach that you've done in, in, uh, gosh, how do I articulate this? I'd like to know more of the details about the outreach you've done, the countries you've gone into and the actual boots on the ground work you're doing as well, because I think that would, that's something that the, the listeners would be really fascinated by. So would you mind just kind of digging into that a little bit and explaining the, the work you're doing now? Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a pleasure to do um, Benjamin. So all the sort of 30 years of, of going through, I guess what a lot of people go through, you know, when we're young and we want to be activists, whether you're a male instructor or a female instructor, I agree with one of the interviews, um, Pamela, I think her, her stance on trauma and bringing trauma into, um, in, into this, into the space of, you know, I don't know what you want to call self-defense empowerment or whatever is, is very, very spot on. But for me, I started really as a survivor thinking, oh, my God, I just really, really, really don't want other women to go through this. So I started teaching the really old-fashioned self-defense course, which was really about giving women a number of rules to follow, you know. And, and you know, a lot of people still think that that's okay, um, but it's not enough. And there's two things like when you when you're teaching a self-defense, like if you're just looking at a parachute intervention, you're going in and you're teaching at a school or you're going into a corporate and you're teaching at a corporate and you're doing, I don't know, between two, three, four, five, six hours with each group, then one has to really look at um are the are the trainers or instructors have they actually thought about women's lived experiences because i know a lot of um a lot of courses where they talk about stuff like you know we need to be really careful about going out at night and we need to walk in groups and we need to not really drink alcohol because if we do then we you know we might get raped and so there's a lot of rules and regulations and actually when I've spoken <laughs> when I've spoken to women like and girls you know teenage girls youth and I asked them if I did this if I came in here and gave you loads of rules um, and like awareness training, then how would that make you feel? Like, would it make you feel empowered or disempowered? And actually, you know, all of the people I've spoken to say, well, that would make me feel disempowered. Because, and that's where part of the, you know, when we're looking at women and girls being blamed, you know, and that one of the reasons I didn't disclose about my rapes for many, 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 many years was we live in a patriarchal society that puts the blame squarely on women's shoulders if anything bad happens, you know. And so I looked at all of all of that and I said, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to disempower people. So what does it mean to, you know, to take a feminist approach on on teaching self-defense? And for me, it was really, really looking at getting young women and women to a point that they believed that they had a right to live their lives without the fear of gender-based violence, never mind actually being a victim of gender-based violence, but that our day-to-day -day lives, that we're not living in an afraid state. And so initially having taught women, 
um, for many, many, many years. And, you know, I've trained, I think I have two people that I've, that I've trained with many people over, over my, over my, over the 30 years and people that I, that I really have to have a shout out to is Richard Dimitri. You know, when I trained with him and spent many, many hours talking to him when I did, I did his, um, training course in Montreal many, many years ago, um, and his understanding of looking at the psychology and the thought process and ego and stuff like that. Wow. This is exactly where I'm going. So I took that all on board. um, And, you know, listening to Pamela, Pamela talking about trauma, I think, wow, that's amazing. I'll definitely be getting in touch with Pamela. There's some Mm -hmm. real great stuff. It's, it's, you know, we all come from trauma, but one of the things that really Mm -hmm. stuck out for me, Benjamin was what about the boys? Like, what about men? Because when I was talking to the young <clears throat> talking to women, listening to thousands and thousands of um, stories where they were brave enough to share what had happened to them. And the common denominator was that, you know, 99.9999% of the time it was a boy or it was men. So I started wondering, like, why is it that all of the people that, I de- that I'm dealing with, all of the people that I've trained with, why is no one doing anything about boys? So mm. I started thinking, thinking about that and thinking, is it again, like, is it that the world expects women to be responsible when the perpetrators are men? Like, what about their responsibility in this? So, and, and this was also something that I really looked at when I did my master's degree. I started looking, like seriously looking at interventions, international interventions that have, got, had, that have been scientifically proven to have positive results. And those workshops that are taught where women are given rules and regulations, I'm not saying that some of those women may have been attacked and something may have worked. So I'm not saying that at all, but I'm... I want to have societal change. I don't want to just change one person's life. I want to change the way we think about, you know, about safety and about women. So I started looking into setting up a program for boys. And I was sort of wondering, like, what is what is it that we teach? So I did loads and loads and loads and loads of focus groups with different age group of boys um, and put together – um, a boys program. So now I was like, okay, this is good. Like I have a program, like an empowerment through self-defense program for girls. And then I also have a boys program where I guess one of the big things is where we're not looking at boys and men as possible perpetrators. Like I started, Benjamin, I promise you, I started like my whole life. I was so scared of men, um, like really scared. And then I started you know, obviously through all the self-defense, I became less scared. You know, I understood very clearly if I put my finger down someone's eye socket, they're going to let go of me. So I started feeling a bit better about my my, my options if I was attacked. But I have to say that when I was, when I started looking at patriarchy, um, having listened to boys say, yes, but this, 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 I felt peer pressure to do that. Um, you know, and I realized that as girls were having a really bad time because we were being disempowered by society, disempowered by our parents, disempowered by, 
you know, our educators. At the same time, I realized that young boys were um, were going through something horrific. And I always say, like, imagine if we could, like, just as for all of the listeners, imagine if we could, um, like, think about, close your eyes and imagine, like, 20 different kinds, you know, diversity of young boys that all only common denominator there, Benjamin, is that those boys are all like three years old and they're standing on a stage like being three-year-old boys. And I really want people to imagine like what, what those boys are, like look at them. And I looked at lots of very tiny boys and all I could feel was great love and empathy and like how cute. Like if I, I mean, I don't know you, I've never seen you face to face. I've only seen pictures of you. But if I imagine you at three years old, I think, oh my God, you would have been very, very cute. Um, and then imagine that the first time that you wanted to show like any form of sadness, somebody clipped you around the ear and told you to man up or told you to stop being a sissy, you know, um, or said you're behaving like a girl. And I look at what we as a society have done, and this goes cross race, cross religion, cross culture, cross everything. What have we done to boys? Um, and so that for me was a really massive turning point when I realized how much empathy I feel for, for men. And, you know, Pamela's absolutely right. When you start doing that kind of stuff to boys that young and you stop them being able to feel and you stop them being able to show a range of emotions, um, and then on top of that, so many of us as young children have suffered all sorts of traumas, then are we really surprised that we have... Um, men that commit suicide in a much higher rate than women and men that beat their wives and men that rape. Um, so, yeah, so that sort of was the motivation, I guess, behind me really trying to look at, you know, you start, I guess what I was doing, although I didn't know it, Benjamin, I started to look at a community and I started, oh, my God, like what right. is like, what is this all about? And so, like, I always understood women. I mean, because I'm a woman and I'm a survivor. So I understood that side. So when I started looking at that, then I started saying, okay, but who are those people that were doing all of that stuff? Like, who are the, who are the people that are creating those boys that are so unhappy when they are teenagers and young men? Because I don't believe that when you abuse your wife, that you're happy. I don't believe that when you rape a woman, right. you know, that deep down inside you're happy. I mean, I have much more faith in human beings, you know. So there's a lot of unhappiness mm -hmm. um, and a lot of trauma on both sides. So you will get this because of this phenomenal project you did in Ecuador. Like, didn't you just feel like insignificant in the huge picture of the world? when it comes to the issues that you were dealing with in Ecuador? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. You feel, you feel so helpless. I mean, it's, it just feels like the tide is, 
yeah, I, I used to literally have yeah. nightmares about the the big tsunami, right? The big tsunami yeah. wave that, that yeah. hit Indonesia years ago. Like you feel like that, right? Like you're standing on the beach and the water, you're just watching it go out and build up into this huge wall and then come back at you. And you're like, oh exactly. my gosh. <laughs> exactly. I and do? I think Benjamin, I hear you so deeply. It's actually given me goose pimples because that's how I felt. Like all those years ago, I just thought, how am I going to do this? Like, there's so much, like I didn't understand things. I hadn't, I didn't understand all the trauma that men were going through. I had only looked at them as perpetrators. So now I understood, okay. And then I was thinking, how the hell am I going to change a world um, where parents stop saying stuff like that to their boy child and they stop dressing the girl in some kind of pink fairy tale outfit before she can even talk like how can we change that so I was like you I was totally overwhelmed and I just thought this is such a major problem it's you know I think most people that are involved in this um you know in inverted comet self-defense space they're dealing with things just on an individual level like I help you as one yes. person or I help you as 30 people or I help you as 150 people but that's not going to change it because when she fights back and the guy's caught and he's arrested and he goes to court and in the UK there's a jury, all of those juries are going to say, but I'm really sorry, my love, you were drinking. So, you know, what were right. you wearing? Like, you, I mean, how could you dress like that? So I realized that there was such structural um, issues that had to be changed. And that, um, I, I have a feeling you got that when you were in Ecuador as well, that it wasn't just about For those sure. individual young girls, that you spend and Rich spend and Pamela spends that time doing outstanding work. I wish you had contacted me. I would have been there in a second. Um outstanding work but what about when those young girls go home or go to whoever's caring for them or what about when they i don't know yeah. go on to social media and see how women are objectivized so what i what i looked at understanding that there was an individual and a structural level and being totally and utterly paralyzed almost with the enormity of the problem and feeling such empathy, not just for the girls, but for young boys, I thought, okay, well, the simple thing, because I think, you know, from the small amount I know about you, you're like a problem solver. Like that's that's my number one strength, I think, is I'm a problem solver. Like it's it's quite exhausting because I have, feel like I have to solve everyone's problems, you know? Um, <laughs> right, right. Well, I think it's, I think that comes from, you know, when you're traumatized as a kid, you're like, wow, I don't want to go through that. I don't want other yeah. people to go through that. Right. And you, you become True. a fixer. Right? You become this. Yeah. A hundred percent. You don't realize it. Hey, you don't realize it when you're young. Why are you a fixer? <laughs> you only realize right, that later. Right. But so I sort of, I, I then looked and I thought, okay, well, I definitely cannot. I mean, I'm working across, you know, mostly across three continents. I mean, that's really scary. Um, India is like I mean, just massive. So sorry, three three countries, not three mm. continents, three countries on three continents, and India being a continent. So I then thought, okay, well, 
let's be realistic. I cannot change, um, you know, even just Gauteng and Johannesburg where I work. I can't just change that province. Um, I can't change stuff in London. Um, I can't change stuff even in just one tiny part of India like Lucknow. I can't do that. Um, and the charity can't do that. And, we, you know, we definitely don't have the funds for that. But what if we got together? What if this wasn't about my ego? Was it, what if this wasn't about me becoming famous and me flittering all over the world teaching? What if this was about me sharing what I've learned from some incredible people like Dave Turton and Richard Dimitri and a variety of other people, what if I could share and also the knowledge that I've obviously gained myself through, through my own research and studies, what if we could train people in the areas that we work in? And can we, can we like break down this myth that you've got to be bald, tattooed man with you know, half, you know, I'm not going to get into it because that's going to make me But You know, that alpha male that people think is a self-defense instructor. I'm not saying all instructors are like that because they're definitely not. But what if we could just train everyday women, not necessarily women that have got my, you know, a privilege of going to, you know, doing a master's degree. But what if I could share all those skills and we could have a program like a train the trainer program. So what if I could have a group of people in Lucknow that understood the Because what do I know about Lucknow with all due respect? How can I go to the country and, right. and stand in front of a group of people not understanding the day-to-day -day life that those young people are going through and cultural differences? So we the first thing I thought, okay, first of all, um, this is not going to be about me. This is going to be about me training other people. So we set up a train the trainer program, which we've run in South Africa and India and the, uh, and the UK and in Curacao, where we trained local people to deliver all of the programs. And then I looked at this like short intervention, like the empowerment intervention. And as much as we know, anybody that's done these small workshops, um, you know, like, three, four, five hours, we know that they can have a really positive impact on people. And we know that there's women that have and girls that have been, um, you know, challenged, verbally threatened, and they've they've used the physicality and they've got out of that situation or they've used verbal or they've understood that intuition is really important and they've, you know, they've moved away from somebody that they feel uncomfortable around. That's great. But again, everything to mm -hmm. me was about long-term societal change. And those short workshops don't change society. They may change that individual, but they don't change society. So then I looked at trying to design a program that was more long-term. Um, and then looking as well, like those three-year-old boys, when they're five years old, what do they look like? Like, and again, I asked all, all young boys that are listening, or sorry, all men that are listening, or all women that have got sons that are listening, to think about between three and five, what changes happen with regards to young boys starting to feel that they better than girls, noticing that they treated differently to girls, noticing that they can say and do things that girls can't say and do, you know? Um, and silly, something mm. silly mm -hmm. like, you know, a young boy 
touching himself and adults around that young boy noticing that, you know, he's touching his penis. Um, and the men in the group like grinning and saying, that's my boy. And, you know, he's five and he's doing that <laughs> yeah. already. Wow, this is this is going to be a, an amazing guy. And then the little sister that's four years old or six years old touching herself. And there's horror. It's horror. It's horrific. And, mm -hmm. you know, they got smacked right. and told, <laughs> don't do that. So, you know, those kinds of things are already starting to happen. Um, gender. Um, and gender inequality is starting to happen. Entitlement is starting to be understood. And so I then was like going, okay, so when those kids are like eight years old, what's happening? And 12 years old, what's happening? And then also very important, Benjamin, looking at academic research and looking and understanding psychology of young people and understanding when in our lives do we start forming our belief systems, like, is it better for us right, to, right. if we're looking at empowerment, is it better for us to start empowering girls, you know, from, you know, eight or nine years old rather than at 16 or 17? So a lot of traditional self-defense people don't ever teach, you know, inverted commas, self-defense to very young girls because they go, yes, but if the young girl was attacked by an adult man, she wouldn't be able to do anything physical. But that's a very, 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 um, a very tiny amount of it, isn't it? Because if we can teach that girl to be a warrior, right. to understand that she has equal rights to dignity and respect and freedom and safety, that when that little boy at primary school tries to touch her, she says, fuck off. <laughs> you know? Um, right, right. And so right. that's what I started looking at. And so for us as a charity, um, a huge part of what we do is we teach the empowerment workshops to anybody. And often those workshops are used as fundraisers, you know. Um, but our our main sort of sort of our holy grail is teaching um at primary schools. And very few people focus on primary schools for a number of reasons and yeah well it's interesting it's not sorry to interrupt it's in, it's interesting that you would you would bring up you know child development my, my bachelor's Amazing. is in psychology and all the research all the research shows that you're basically all of your psychology and and learning social learning is set by the age of five right exactly. so how far behind exactly. the eight ball are we you know and it's it's not being dealt with at the, the timing is off, right? Like that's one of these things that I'm picking up in what you're saying. Like we're exactly. not dealing with it early enough in the, in the child development, you know, like I, my daughter had a mohawk at four and she was punching kids in the face at school because I encouraged her to do it. Right. Like, it's like, go yeah. for it. Yeah. yeah. Say no. Right. And she, we had this. I have no doubt you were unpopular parent at school. Oh no, absolutely. They, I just like the whole administration mouths aghast. Right. But she, we got called in at one point because she mooned her teacher because her teacher asked her to do something that she didn't want to do. She just mooned her teacher and oh, walked off. Good. Right. And, and it, you know, she, so, Oh, she's a rebel. No, she has boundaries. Sure. We need to work on how she expresses those boundaries do and doing it more appropriately. Right. <laughs> 
But at least she's saying no right at a young age, which is what. But you know then, what I mean? Well, I'm glad anyway, that you interrupted sorry. because that's exactly that's you know it's a hundred percent backing up what I'm saying, and that's that's what people don't get, you know. Um. So yeah. So for us, you know. So I remember my brother being when I was I don't know your daughter's age, like I don't know five, six, seven. I remember him, um, and I use this sometimes when I'm teaching, holding my wrists. All right. And I remember him saying to me, like, you are so weak. And then he would take my wrist and he would make me punch myself in the face. Not Hector. I mean, my brother's a really nice guy. This is just what young boys do. Um, and then I would struggle, like, oh, because I'm 18 months younger than my brother. I would struggle to try and get out of it. So, like, what I learned at that really young age was physically I'm inadequate. Like, he is so strong and what he learned right. is how pathetic I was you know I'm not saying he did learn that because as, as I said my brother's really right. really stunning guy um but I was so disempowered now whether it was my brother doing that or whether it was a boy at school doing that or whether it was a cousin of mine doing that somebody would have had that kind of thing because that's what young boys do all right they they you know that's what society requests young boys to do so I always say, like, imagine if my parents or my friends or society as a whole had said the minute that somebody bullies you, because it is, you know, bullying, the minute somebody does that, slam your knee into their groin as hard as you can, like what you taught your daughter. Um, and if that had happened, and what right. your daughter definitely has learned by doing all of that amazing, amazing stuff when she was younger, is actually, this is my boundary, and I'm a nice person, but if you cross this boundary, I'm not nice. And actually, I have a right to do For anything sure. to get you off me. And if that means kneeing you in the groin or punching you in the face, then that's my right. Um, and so, yeah, so that's so that's interesting. So we we looked at setting up the program at primary schools, and there were two there were two things that I thought was interesting. Benjamin was number one was empowering girls through the physicality of self defense. So during the sort of program that we do, it's not it's not a self defense program. It's an empowerment program. You know, the the session one and session two of both the girls and boys program is about self love. You know, like about valuing yourself. Um, yeah. So I was watching the videos on on your site, and it was fascinating yeah. to me that you address that. That's just that's a piece that yeah. no one is. Addressing. And you know, no one. I did my master's degree. I did my dissertation um, in a couple of schools in an area in South Africa called Soweto. It's, it's well known because of Nelson Mandela, but I mean, this is outside of all of that area, you know, where he was, his house and Verkazi street. But, um, the, my dissertation was on what do primary school children think of sexual harassment and what do they think their role is in preventing that? Because if you look at, the worst possible thing that women are terrified of, it's the fact that we probably are gang raped and killed. So you're only going to be gang raped and killed once. On the bottom of that triangle, and I believe the base of all gender-based violence starts with the normalization and acceptance of sexual harassment. Rape 
jokes, yes. boys' entitlement, touching our breasts, pulling our bra straps, you know, touching our bums when we're tiny. And I sort of thought, well, if we can wipe out the bottom of that triangle and deal with stuff that happens to women, every girls and women, every single day, girls are at primary school and I will guarantee you they do not go through one day without suffering some form of sexual harassment at primary school. Yes, and then they're yes. also shut down by yes. the administration. Like my daughter was chastised. My daughter had to write letters of apology for beating yes. up the bullies that bullied her. Oh, right? She was made to write yes. letters of apology. And so that's but bullies. Benjamin, this is the thing. Like you get it. I'm so you like you've lived it with your daughter. So if we just keep changing individuals, what about the school? So for us, for our program. We, we also looked, so we looked at the empowerment through self-defense for girls. We looked at a hero empathy program, really getting boys to understand what it's like to be a girl, what it's like to not have equal opportunities, what it's like to be constantly harassed, and what it's like to be scared all the time that something's going to happen. And then the next thing, which which for me was really, really exciting, is how can we give um, you know, change that thing where your daughter doesn't have to do those apology letters. So other than engaging girls and engaging boys, part of our primary school program is that we put teachers and all staff, so not just teachers, the woman that or the man that makes the tea, they come on the course. So every single adult person at that school does our course. And we Basically, what we're trying to do is change the way they think about safety and, um, you know, gender-based violence. And then very important to get caregivers, i.e. parents or caregivers, involved in the program as well, because they also are very, very, you know, big responsible. So now that we've got like girls, boys, teachers, caregivers, you know, everyone at the school involved, um, the next thing was to really say, okay, so what can they do? You know, how can they be actively involved in changing things at that one school? So that's where we looked at our 12-hour community invention and, and, and taking an entire school approach. And that made me, when you said you felt that tsunami, when I, was, when I went to those schools and I did my dissertation with those young guys, um, they did not want to, most mm -hmm. of them did not want to sexually harass girls. A couple of them were mortified. They had felt so guilty. So then you start looking at the shame that boys carry in secret. They can't share that shame because then they're going to be told horses, you know. So that was that something that was really, really important for me is starting to look at structural change and saying, okay, well, now we can involve school management and school teachers and bringing in caregivers and parents. And that started making, not me personally, but all of my, all of the people that work with me, all of our trainers, we were like, okay, like we can start seeing real change, Benjamin. Like we could start seeing, like teachers were saying to us, Right. Like one of the, the, the strangest things is like one of the teachers said, um, you know what it's like when you go to, I mean, I went to, you know, an okay school, privilege buys, dis, you know, if you go to a very good top range expensive school, how kids are taught, it's about discussion and it's about hearing the child's voice, which when you go to schools in areas right, with right. economic challenges, they don't have time for all of that. They've got like 48 children in a class. 
and they talk at those kids, you know, <laughs> and they teach the curriculum. And the teachers were saying, right, right. like, when Action Break Silence had worked in some of these schools for five years, so now you have, like, grade five students completed course, grade six students completed course, grade seven students completed course, teachers have done course, parents have done course. Now what they were saying is, like, the children are starting at these really schools with major economic challenges. They started asking questions during class. Like they had the confidence to actually talk about stuff. Like the boys that never, ever spoke during class. I mean, they messed around with each other because that's what boys do. But they never asked. They never were inquisitive learners. They started becoming inquisitive learners. Um, and the research that we had done in South Africa by top, 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 top university in South Africa is Pretoria University by a woman called Professor Marita Fisser, who is just amazing, the, the the research showed of mm. our 12-hour program that the way boys saw themselves and viewed masculine, masculinity totally changed. Um, they felt heard. You know, they understood how important they were. And what I was going to say is the sort of the, the wow. word that I'm going to attach to it now is we started giving people, girls, boys, teachers, we started saying, you can be part of the solution. Like you can become active bystanders. And so all of a sudden they felt valued. Like teachers knew, okay, well, I can do something. Parents knew, okay, so the way we talk to our children, like we were questioning all that stuff you and I were talking about, um, boundaries and listening to them and trusting them when they're talking, the fact that they feel uncomfortable around people, not making kids kiss everyone that comes into the house, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so that was something that, right, right. you know, that that the, the, the primary school intervention is something that um, I think if you said, is there anything that you, you know, that you really look back and you, you know, if I took the time to reflect, often people like that are busy, we don't sit back and go, oh, my God, I'm so great. But if I look at if I look at impact and societal change, this is the only thing that I think is going to work. I mean, added to this, imagine how amazing it was if Pamela, which we, you know, I'll approach her, if she, I don't know, did a session on trauma. You know what I mean? So, but, but, but the overall yes, exactly. package of engaging and looking at a school as a micro community is something that I truly believe. It like gets me out of bed in the morning. I think, okay, this is, this is really amazing. So, so. There, yes. Are you familiar with Jane Elliott, the the blue eyed, brown eyed experiment, and how she yes. kind of used that to illustrate racism? So it sounds to me like you're kind of doing that. You've you've broken this problem down to its simplest parts, and you're you're showing the boys, you know, hey, this is the role you play. This is the role you could play. Yes. This role you could play is a positive role where you're 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 being a protector and you're you're speaking up when you should speak up. And you're you're also teaching the kids, hey, girls, it's OK for you to say no. It's OK for you to physically hurt somebody who's physically trying yeah. to hurt you. That's OK. And I, I don't know if you experienced any initially right you, you get all this pushback like well we want to teach kids to turn the other cheek and we want to 
how how can you how can you teach children to be violent and i, I mean i because i ran into that i ran into that that piece a lot and so could you maybe talk about that a little bit did you run into resistance when you were, when so, you were pushing yeah, this out so initially the, i think just the one word i wanted to pick up on was you said that boys could be the protectors so i think this is in all the work that i've that i've done benjamin that word or that responsibility on men is very um heavy heavy on their shoulders women and girls, we don't need men mm. to protect us. Um, we just want them just to love themselves and look after themselves and nurture themselves so that they don't abuse us and sexually harass us. So that, that, that's sort of something because I've spoken to so many, you know, um, boyfriends and husbands of women that have been raped. Um, even if those men were nowhere near the women or fathers when their daughters were raped. Um, the guilt that these guys carry is if their main job in the world is to protect women. And that's such a massive part of patriarchy. You know, um, men need to protect themselves. Um, and I'm not saying physically protect themselves. Men need to you know, we all, I really do believe that each and every one of us as human beings are responsible for our own happiness um, and setting our own boundaries. And like you were teaching your daughter, sticking to those boundaries, the way that we've approached schools and the content of our program, um, there's nothing in our program that any educator would look at, any parent would look at, um, any caregiver would look at that they would think, shucks, this is too much for a primary school um, child. So we're not, we're not saying, um, and also because we're dealing with stuff in primary schools, um, as much as we're teaching girls to set boundaries and we're teaching them to own their bodies, I think that the overall um, aims and, and objectives of our program um, doesn't challenge or doesn't come across that we're teaching girls to be violent. You know, we're teaching girls to respect themselves and we're teaching girls to set boundaries. And yes, we're teaching girls that if somebody crosses a line, they have a right to do whatever they physically, whatever they need to do to stop that happening to them. But I think human beings can get that. I think, you know, I didn't feel much of a pushback with that. I think it's Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's the, the, maybe it's the, the, the Puritan values of the United States. I've ran into so much pushback about the, the concept of standing up to bullies. Like I told you, like that's my daughter was made to write letters of apology to the bullies that I she, know, but look what I'm thinking about your think poor about daughter, you know, like being sense, pulled right? by, and this is the thing about not <clears throat> teaching just on an individual level, isn't it? Um, because what you, what you having to do, Benjamin as well, is you're doing a great job with your daughter, but what you didn't realize at the time is actually, I need to go into the school and I need to spend like, I don't know, three years educating the adults. Well, yeah. So so that's really what I'm hearing, right? I mean, 
just let me recap for a second to make sure that I'm grabbing all of this because it's in, it's it's fantastic. So I, I and, and for the people that are slow like me, I just I want to break this down for everybody who's listening. OK, this this program is starting f- from a ground level with little kids, which it should. Right. Like this is something yeah, right. that we should all be taught from an early age. To, to, to have the appropriate boundaries with people, then to, to teach the, the adults to support the kids in having appropriate boundaries with people. There's so much re-education that needs to be taking, taking place. And this is real self-defense. And it has, right, yeah. we haven't even touched on anything physical yet, right? Like if, if you can, if you can get kids from an early age to, to understand this and adults to support kids in understanding this and from a ground level build, like you, you use the, the term micro society, schools are micro societies, right? Like if you can, from a micro society standpoint, start building this kind of psychology from an early age, all the, because the psychology piece is huge, right? You and I both know because we 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 kind of got linked up through Rich Dimitri. Like, really, the entire self defense industry is upside down, right? Like, it's ninety percent psychology and ten percent physicality. Yeah, yeah. And usually, it's taught as ninety percent physicality and ten percent psychology. Like, everything is backwards. I, I don't know if you struggle with this too, as a, as a problem solving type personality, but like I sit here and I get fits about this because I'm like, it's all broken. Yeah. Like nobody gets it. Like, look, look, step back and look, like put your tattoos aside, grow some, grow a ponytail, exactly. and whatever's yeah. going to help you. Like, <laughs> but you know, I also, Benjamin, I also have it. to tell you, I don't know if it's because, and um, I'm saying this, you know, in an ask, I don't know if it's because I'm a woman. You can imagine that the world of self defense and reality based self defense and all of this is male dominated, huh? How hard, and also martial arts, mm-hmm, how hard mm-hmm. the journey has been for me as a woman, where 20 years ago, I mean, there are a million things that have happened in my career. I've been bumped off seats when I've been at tournaments watching my students. I've been so disrespected. I mean, there's in the UK, there's something called the Hall of Fame. Um, I have never, ever been nominated for that Hall of Fame. I know. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a joke. It's, I mean, it's a joke. If they, if they nominated me now, I would say thank you very much. But no, I don't want to do it. I don't. No, but you have to take it. If they nominate no, you now, you have to take it so you can be the but one that breaks that barrier. But it's barrier, crazy. Right? Like, um, so, and I do, th- I do think that right. one of the good things, because I, because I wasn't respected, my on a martial arts and self defense level, and also I was called like a woman instructor. So no one took me seriously. Um, Rich took me seriously. I must be honest. But I had and and Dave Turton. But what I do, what I do say is that it taught me not to be frustrated, just to keep my head down and work harder than anybody else. And that's what I did as a woman. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't angry. I didn't lash out at the guys. I didn't, I didn't feel that. I just thought, keep your head down and keep working. And now, um, you know, at, you know, I was 50 this year. I held a world tournament in, in, in London last year. And the men have got the utmost respect for me now. 
you know, they arrive with gifts when they come to the tournament, which is really brilliant, very generous and lovely of them. So I do think I didn't feel that frustration that you felt because I'm just used to getting, keeping my head down and I guess problem solving silently, but I understand your frustrations because I also obviously went through those. I think the difficult thing is, is again with the, perhaps the reason that I don't have so much resistance is if we're looking at primary school um, young people, all right, we look at stuff that was happening to your daughter. So if we look at bra snapping and, you know, touching without permission and, you know, that kind of, you know, sex, the sexual harassment that happens at primary schools, and we look at when that happens, um, kids look up to see a teacher standing in the playground and they're like, why aren't you doing anything? Like, this guy's scaring me or this guy's like, invading my space and those teachers are ignoring it because they're going but that isn't really serious is it I mean it's not causing any damage really um so you know it would be different if the if you know if your daughter said oh you know Tommy put his finger in my vagina the school would respond but on the stuff that the stuff that society thinks doesn't create damage they ignore it and by ignoring it they condone it and they Right. Exactly. And so then and they also it, then they those little boys. So if you imagine yeah. if those guys that had that those those boys that, that crossed the boundary or girls that crossed the boundary with your daughter, they know not to do that. Um and if we all taught our children, boys and girls, like not to do certain things, by the time those boys are 10 years old, they're not going to feel a sense of entitlement over our bodies. It's awesome what you're doing yeah. because it's addressing it from from the bottom up. You you use the the analogy of a pyramid, yes. right? And and working from from the bottom level up. All this Correct. stuff needs yeah. to change from the bottom up. And the the education needs to change from the bottom up. It, it's amazing. It um so so now that you're getting the respect and you've you've kind of come up with this model that's working and you've pushed it out into three countries and 65,000 people um what what are some things that you've run into now that that are problems that need to be solved since we're both problem solvers right like you, i know at this point in your journey because we kind of talked pre-podcast. What are what are problems now? We we have to in this discussion talk about pornography. When we're talking about gender-based violence, um, we have to we have to understand the impact of pornography. Um, there is an incredible, phenomenal, amazing woman called Dr. Gail Dines. She runs an organization called Culture Reframe. So this is a free give that I'm giving to anyone that's listening. Um, if you go onto her website, the, or the website, it's a charity, that they have got online, free online courses for parents of kids of a variety of ages. And I know that we all like to think that we are the source of all knowledge, but let's be honest, we're not. So I am not an expert. I have, I have some understanding of pornography because I've done my <laughs> research. Um, but I'm not the expert. So I want to, I want to, I want to come together with other experts, Benjamin. You know, 
So I, you know, I'm I'm talking about having a link directly from her website right. onto mine. Right. So when I'm talking to parents in the past, and I'm asking parents, like so, you were asking about challenges. There was such a disconnect with parents, like what what parents are teaching their young people and their children is what they were taught like 40 years ago or 30 years ago or 20 years ago. And we as a society, I think, are not addressing the catastrophic impact of pornography, not just, and people always now just immediately they think pornography only impacts girls. And of course, we all know, yes, it impacts girls. All right. I don't know if you know, but research in the UK has shown that a 15-year-old girl is more likely to be asked to have anal sex before she's asked to be kissed. So, you know, there's there's um, conferences wow. that will be held in the world now where top medical scientists are saying, what's going on? Sexually transmitted disease has gone ballistic in teenagers. Why? And no one of those experts, mm -hmm. except Professor De uh, Dr. Gail Dines, is saying, well, it's pornography because because teenagers are having anal sex and no one wants to talk about it. For sure. Pornography. I, the, the big pornography research that I've seen is yeah. how early kids are now sexually active because of yeah. the access to pornography on the Internet. Yep. You have kids now being sexually active at nine years old. I mean, at yeah. nine, I was playing with action figures the, alone. The scary, in my the scary thing, you know, like, you know, for me, uh, Benjamin, about it, pornography it, is, I mean, the impact that that has on girls because pornography now, gonzo pornography, is is hardcore. There's no, there's no nice pornography anymore. You know, when I'm saying now, like you know, teenage boys visualizing that they right. have sex, consensual sex with two women at the same time. Now, as you know, pornography is is violence. Um, and young girls at nine years old that are yeah. being forced to, to you know, I mean, it's, it's rape, of course, because they're nine years old, but because the perpetrator is nine years old, people don't see it like that. But they're forced to do things that they don't want to do. They have, um, you know, there's a, for me, I, I, I look at what this is doing to young boys as well. Because at nine years old, you have a multi-billion-pound industry sure. telling boys who they are sexually, right, Ooh. and and retarding their mental development. I mean, like there's research yeah. that shows that pornography yes. literally yes. Yeah. shuts down. Whole I mean, and areas that, again, you know, again, right? I, you know, this is why for me it's so important. Um, we mustn't forget that what we're trying to do is we're trying to make the world nicer for women and girls. All right. That is trying to make women and girls be able to live in dignity without mm -hmm. fear mm -hmm. of gender based violence. I mean, that, that's it. And we know that that's the major issue. But part of that solution mm -hmm. has to be including and looking at young boys. And part of part of the boys program is looking at the happiness I mean, this is, I think this is sometimes when I reach out to boys and men, I think why I get, you know, I don't get shut down by, you know, I don't know, by schools and, and stuff is because I really am coming from a place of empathy, not judgment. Um, and so, yeah, so I think that mm -hmm. looking, you know, looking at pornography and listening to the parents 
um, and caregivers and understanding how little common knowledge there was, you know, kids were at nine years old were experiencing all of these things and parents were in major denial is going to make it worse for girls at the end of it. And so one of the things that we're very excited about as a charity is that we are, um, we have set up uh, a youth ambassador program. And so this is bringing in secondary or high school young people to encourage them to become educators. And so this youth ambassador program is really about people that are 16 years old mentoring people like your daughter so that if she feels she can't come to you or her mom or any other adults in her life, she has people that have been trained um, and are exceptional, outstanding young people in all sections of um, society, you know, all schools, that they would be able to then talk to those people. And that's something that I'm really excited about. So what I do now when I talk to parents, and I know lots of the instructors listening, we stand up and we talk to parents about, I don't know, the impact of pornography on girls and boys. And, you know, parents are shocked. Oh, my God, really? Eight years old, nine years old, they're having sex? I can't believe my daughter isn't doing that or my is you know i say to parents like how many of you have thought about how you're going to respond right if your daughter says that she's been raped and everyone puts their hand up um and i said how many of you thought about what you're going to do when there's a knock at the door and it's your 14 year old son that's arrested for rape like no one wants to talk about that so yeah it just it, it, this is this is just the interesting thing but imagine benjamin if you were at a talk at your school at your daughter's school and it was a talk on gender-based violence and somebody walked in and um it was three three 15 year old guys and three 15 year old girls and they sat and had a conversation with you about their experiences with pornography like how much would you learn and how much more impact would that have instead of me getting up right, or you getting right, up right, right, right. and having that conversation? For sure. I mean, even the, I mean, the, the value of yeah. kids somewhere near your age that you look up to having the same yep. exact conversation with your kid that you would have. It, it just, you know, so many times, it's, you know, yeah. you're the dumb parent falls on deaf ears. But also, that's, don't that's you fantastic. think Benjamin as well? Like, I, I'm, <clears throat> I think, like, personally, I think it's the youth that are going to change everything to do with action break silence. Like, they're going to be driving so much incredible change um, on all levels. But don't you also think that sometimes as adults, we never, ever sit back and look at our teenage children as educators we only look at ourselves as the educators and yeah for sure i mean you're always undercutting your yeah. kids right like if you, yeah. oh you're just a kid you don't know any better right? like, even i'm guilty yeah. of saying that sometimes yeah. right but like, wouldn't it I be really amazing if like parents realized yeah. that actually part of their learning as an adult would be to just stop and actually understand the reality of it is that a 15-year-old youth knows much more than we will ever know about experiences of youth because they're living it. 
everything changes year in and year out. And we all know this. I mean, we're, we all those believers, yes. hey? The, the, the evolution of violence, the evolution of, you know, pornography, the evolution. I mean, everything involved, everything in life evolves. So I just think that there's a time for us to, to really start really, really respecting young people and starting to listen to them and starting to really value them. And all instructors out there and all, all people yes. wanting to do good in the world, I would really, really, really strongly encourage you to bring youth onto your team and pay them, you know, pay them for your services, pay them well. So, yeah, so that's, so that's <laughs> something. I mean, as a charity, like our board in South Africa, Sorry, our board, because South Africa is a fully registered South African charity. UK is a separate charity, fully registered separate charity. And India, because of lockdown, but within the next month will be a fully registered separate Indian charity. The common denominators, all of them teach these programs that we've been talking about today. But wouldn't it be amazing if on all boards, a criteria is that 40% of the board has to be youth. So that's that's 25 years and under. That's classified as youth. Uh, it, for sure. The yeah. whole thing is crazy, right? A lot of this comes from experience. I, I, and I don't want to get, I don't want to make this about myself, right? But my, so my motivation for getting into this, besides being a ginger, which is probably the most oppressed <laughs> demographic on the planet. Everybody hates gingers. Everybody. It's universal, right? And growing up as a ginger kid in an almost all black neighborhood for yeah. part of my life, I, I literally got chased around and had rocks thrown at me as a kid, you know, like, and then my mom was, and I know she won't mind me sharing this, but my mom wow. was raped repeatedly when she was a kid. And I was raised in this environment where you had to be aware because at any moment yeah. someone could violate you right like there's perpetrators around every corner behind every tree and we're seeing more and more with the 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 epstein thing and everything that's coming out about how children are being trafficked and violated that yeah. really the reality that my mom yeah. painted for yeah. me as a kid is not that far from the truth right I actually called her up at one point and apologized to her because I was I was holding a lot of resentment about being, yeah. you know, growing up and feeling like I had to be in code red all the time because at every moment there's a rapist yeah. waiting. And I was like, Mom, this just isn't real. And then the whole Epstein thing. Well, broke. And that's so beautiful that like, you sorry. called her, you know, <laughs> sorry, Mom. Um, you're right. You and know? that you realize it, perhaps what perhaps what you were seeing um, as a young child was like those, I guess, the movie kind of rapes, you know, somebody from another community coming and, you know, grabbing you and dragging you into bush and raping you. But what, what you weren't seeing is that every single one of us as women, every single day, at some point in our day, have to think about our safety. You know, um, your daughter going to school, yeah. For for sure. I mean, there's so many things that you don't see, right? Yeah. Like even the trafficking and then going down and working with trafficking victims in, in, yeah. in Ecuador, like a lot of those, those yeah. kids are trafficked by their own family. It's something like 85%. 
it's like, well, we got to eat. You're good looking. Go get to work. You know, you can make a lot more money doing that than you can mm -hmm. selling blankets on the side of the road. And, and the whole yeah. system yeah. is broken, yeah. right? Like everything is just wrong. <laughs> and, 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 you know, to, to hear you talk about this, there's, I don't know if you've experienced this for me, when I talked to Rich, a lot of light bulbs came on, right? He's talking about psychology and all these other things that no one else is talking about. And it was like, this is a missing piece. And now I'm talking to you and I feel like this is a missing piece, this kind of concept yeah. of a ground up re-education yeah. process that needs to take place. That involves yeah. everybody, yeah. right? Like it takes a tribe to raise a village, to raise a child, right? You know, and, and, and I, there's a there's another African proverb that that talks about how mm -hmm. the child rejected by the tribe will burn down the village to feel its warmth, right? And you see that, right? You see yep. it happening in society with school shootings and everything else. And 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 it, the only way you can fix this yep. is, is if you start at the bottom and start re-educating people at the bottom. Which means rejecting this whole machismo, ego-driven, tough guy, trained special forces thing and, and reevaluating it and going, how it's not about that. It's not about your ego, you know, what you're compensating for, whatever thing it is, you know, that you're compensating for your trauma or whatever. Put it aside and ask yourself how you can do the most good, right? Like, where can you do the work that yeah. will but you know really what you know what benjamin that you keep like that guy you that you're make, talking about right? this the, the the image that you're putting in our heads my thing is that 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 person hasn't had the privilege that i've had the journey that i've had the born with the kind of brain that i've had gone through the traumas that i have gone through and, you know, what I want to do to the instructors out there, and this sounds really weird, is to really throw my arms very wide open and say, like, reach out and have a conversation. Some people, you know, they're trying to pay their rent. They're yes. trying to make a living. They haven't got any other way or means of making a living other than teaching that syllabus that they're teaching. No one else in the world perhaps really acknowledges them outside of that big macho person that is presenting themselves. Um, again, they may have gone or not have gone through, you know, a lot of guys that I know that are in the self-defense fraternity were really badly bullied when they were at school. Um, to be really honest, guys are not going to come up and say, well, actually, I sure. also was sexually assaulted or raped because we're not in a world yet where guys are – guys are comfortable enough to say that because, you know, I mean, it, that that's a whole nother discussion of why I think you know, that, that for me is extremely worrying is that guys don't have a safe <laughs> place to actually talk about what's happened to them when they're young with regards to sexual assault and sexual violence. Um, and I think millions and millions and millions of men are carrying that on their shoulders alone. But what I do think we need to do is we need to not – be angry with each other. We need not to judge each other. We need to understand that our journeys are different because perhaps we have had different privileges, um, different people. Um, uh, push back creates pushback. Yes. Um, opening your arms 
and 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 I really mean this from the bottom of my heart and saying, like, I want the whole self-defense fraternity to start working in unity, like to stop judging and comparing each other's programs and to start coming together and saying, what is actually working? What is working? And and not just view this as an opportunity to make loads of money. You know, I've worked for Action Break Silence for, I mean, the charity is eight years old. For, for I mean, this is the first month in November 2020 is the first month that I'm going to get paid from the charity. You said right at the beginning of this interview that that a couple of things that you you want to make a difference in the world. Like for me personally, you've, you've mentioned that you're a Christian. Um, whether you faith believe in Christianity or don't believe in Christianity, for me the real or any other faith, the reality of it is is that unless we give back, unless there's a part of our life that is serving the world, not for money, for free. I mean that's what service is. You do stuff for free. Yes. What the hell is the point of being alive? Yes. Now, what is the point of being alive? Well, even, I mean, Rich and I talked about this a lot. If you're, if you're, there's nothing wrong with doing some of what you do for profit, right? Rich, Rich at one point was like, yeah, for sure. I've sold these instructional videos and those make my profit. And then when something like what you were doing comes along, I volunteer my time for free. That's the right way to do it, right? Like you can't, I had people tell me that I had to pay them. 10,000 of my $12,000 that I had to budget this entire thing to, to, for their two, for him, one person and his assistant instructor, 10,000 bucks, five grand each plus first class host hotel stays or five star hotel stays and first class plane tickets. So that's my whole budget right there for to, to bring two people out to train for two days. It really you want yeah. me to do that for a third world but Benjamin it's just as well that they charge that because you couldn't accept right? them if they Seriously? charge that if they charge less you would have accepted them and then the reality of it is the stuff that they were teaching would have been exactly the same and from what you've said to me about them it's best that they didn't come and teach in Ecuador yeah so actually the world the universe was working in your favor by them outpricing yes, yes. themselves because you know, they the would have had a terrible impact even, on those young girls. For sure. That was the other thing that I didn't even get at the time. I was just hurt that all these people that were heroes of mine that I looked up to and read about in martial arts magazines, that they were so galactically like ego driven and profit driven that they couldn't even help kids. And then I and yeah. and, and all these pieces, you know, come together. It's like a hallway, yeah. right? Where you you switch on lights as you go, right? You, you it's dark ahead of you, and you walk up and you switch another light switch on, and you keep walking and you switch another light switch on, and you kind of can only see so far ahead as you move along. There's all these pieces that came together that I didn't even understand, right? Like this, what we're talking it about would have been now, really bad. The, the material would yeah. have been. Yeah. Horrible, but you right? know the it thing about that darkness so is that damaging. if you and I stand together, there's going to be a little bit more light. And if we get the guy that you said is doing this incredible stuff and doing all this filming, there, and he stands next to us, there's more light. And if Rich and Pamela stand next to us, there's more light. And 
And I think that that's that's something that I've learned over the last eight years um, when I've, you know, when literally I'm just working in the charity sector now, um, is that that in, in, you know, in, in, in South Africa, you would say Ubuntu uh, and it's community. And we, you're right. I think the reason I said fraternity, because it was like that for me, it was men in charge and telling women what they should do. And for me, it, it felt like a fraternity. Yes. But actually, it's now with people like you and Rich and Pamela and, you know, Dave Turton mm-hmm. and pe- the people that genuinely care, it is about community. And this is this is this this is the thing about, um, you know, us coming together, because if you having a really, really bad day, Benjamin, and you feel overwhelmed, like pick up the phone and call me. You know, because when you re- when you feel when you feel that tsunami coming and you and you're a problem solver, sure. and it's just that day that you're feeling really really overwhelmed by how horrible everything is around you. If you can call me, I'm going to share an amazing story with you. Mm. Like there's going to be something that is happening in one of our programs, or somebody that has done something, or said something, or achieved something that we we can share stories and you're like okay so this is okay so maybe i'm having a bad day but you know what debbie out there when action break silence or salela or demikatsu or one of the people working alongside her are are in communities and being active you know yes well that's why the community piece is so critical um you just referenced my the the interview that i did uh yesterday or the day before with a friend of mine who's a photographer and videographer who's going around and he's documenting this stuff like his his passion project if you will is getting out there and going to places where work like this is being done and and filming it and taking photos of it and and putting it out there so that people you have a voice that they wouldn't normally have because they don't even have access to cameras and photos and videos and 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 I think the community piece right the cooperative piece like let's destroy the word fraternity right now um is so critical right because like you said there is something about standing together and I don't know if you experienced this I'm sure you did but there was a point where you felt so lonely right you felt like you were in the fight alone especially as a woman coming up in you know the what was the fraternity of martial arts at the time it it had to be and so to be or to build that which is the goal of this podcast really is to build a community of people that support other people in doing good and and our front runners not you know, not people that are have no idea what they're talking about, you know, cutting edge, bleeding edge minds. It, it, it feels good. It, even for me, it's it's healing, right, to, to have these conversations, because I left the whole situation in Ecuador feeling really defeated, like just feeling like such a failure and, and feeling like there's no way you can't you, there's no way you can overcome this. 
and now having conversations with Rich and conversations with you and conversations. I'm like, oh, maybe there is hope. Maybe if I connect this person with this person and and we we do bring that collective light. A hundred percent. Like that hallway a little bit more. And I think that that feeling that that feeling that you had, I have felt that a million times over the last eight years. Like I've had times, honestly, 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 Benjamin, where I've turned my shower on, I've got naked, I've sat down in my shower, um, and I've just cried. And I've 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 cried because I can't change it fast enough. Yeah. I can't. I'm not being heard. Um, I don't have funding. I mean, the the, mm-hmm. the money issue is just crippling. Um, or, you know, I had a I had a young girl in India that, you know, she was like 10 years old. She was totally malnourished. She reenacted a rape that her neighbor had done on her. She reenacted the rape on me and she stuffed her handkerchief down my mouth. Um, and I I was just, I mean, I can only say there's a million times that I've been paralyzed. Uh, I think something that we teach in our phase one of our boy and girls program is mm-hmm. something called resilience. Um, and resilience means that you, you bounce back, but it doesn't mean that you always have to be strong. You know, um, and that, that's something that I've learned, you know, it's okay for me to yeah. admit right, right, right. on this podcast <clears throat> that actually there's times that I'm, that I'm vulnerable, you know, um, and it's hard. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm very, you know, I, I, I hear you when you, you know, your, your sadness, I guess, at reaching out to so many people and being turned down because of money when you were trying to do the right thing, you know? Well, there's so many, there's so many lights that are coming on as we talk, right? Like I'm guilty of, you know, suck it up. You're a boy. That's be, especially being a military guy, right? Oh, my feelings are hurt. Well, here's a big straw. Suck it up, bro. Get back to work, right? Like, take your dress off. All that kind of, that verbiage that that makes the gender other divide huge and puts all this weight on the shoulders of, of boys. I mean, having a conversation with you and, and hearing you articulate, hey, what this does is it shuts boys down. What it does is it it mutes boys. It takes their voice away, and and you know that's that's stuff mm-hmm. that I've I've I now I'm gonna have to go away and and excavate that right. But but the military yeah. culture is very much like you're a man. You know, shut up. Whoever dies, whatever happens, you know, suck it up. And that's, pro- that's, of course, yes. as I'm saying yeah. this, you know, another light bulb is coming on. That's probably why the post-traumatic stress is so bad, right? Because you're just told to but Benjamin, sh- that to happens, stuff it. That you know, happens shut up, outside up, the military. And that's it. the thing. Yes, it happens in, in institu- yeah. on, at an institutional level. Um, that happens in education. At schools, people are doing the same thing. It happens to you as boys at home. It happens when you're in the streets. So... No wonder yes. we're in a position where men are committing suicide. Men are drinking sure. more than women. Men are becoming addicts of all sorts of things. And I, I, I mean, I can't tell you how important if we're going to make things better, can, can we please stop 
stop, you know, from literally from birth? Can we please just allow boys to be who they want to be? Can we allow them just to decide who they are? You know, can we celebrate vulnerability of young boys? Can we celebrate, um, you know, can we be there for them when they're sad? Can we acknowledge it when they're sad? I can throw arms around, you know, you know, you know, all all of that stuff. Because when you yeah, guys yeah. are unhappy I mean, sure. and when you're angry, it's projected out onto society. You know? Um, so yeah. That, that was such a beautiful, it was such a beautiful mm-hmm. um You burn the village you know, down. Um, uh, the thing that you shared ones. about burning the village down, because that yeah, that's exactly it. It's funny. Right. So this is getting much deeper than I thought I was going to get, but I love it. So we're just going to go with it. Um, so I was a massively sensitive kid, right? Like I cried all the time. And, and as a, as a little kid, as a little ginger kid, mm-hmm. right? Like I was always like, ah! and I got that all the time. I got the like, Hey man up, you know, shut up. And, we laugh about it now my dad has grown a ton we have a great relationship now he's (laughs) a very sensitive guy now like he's flipped the other way now it's like wow dad what the heck (laughs) but well when I was when I was like 13 or 14 years old my dad rented this Daniel Day-Lewis movie called My Private Laundromat where Daniel Day-Lewis is gay, right? And he said, afterwards, he like sat me down. We watched the movie Father-Son Night. I thought it was going to be like cowboy movies or something. And I'm watching this movie with my dad. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? You know, like, why are we watching this movie? And he was trying really hard to just build a bridge. And he's he's like, so are are you gay? Because I was so emotional all the time that for him, for him, that was the only connection that he could make, right? It was like, this kid must be, you know, of another sexual orientation because real men don't act like this, right? And for me, that was a point where I was like, I will never show emotions again, right? And I just stuffed it all and went fully the other way and went and did a whole bunch of you know specialized military training and all this other stuff yeah and now you know i broke myself and i'm having to unlearn all this stuff and get get back in touch with my empathy and get back in touch with my feelings and and you're really touching on so many things in society that just need to be retooled from the ground up listening to you talk everybody should be allowed to express their feelings. Benjamin, that's that's what gender equality is about. You know, guys, guys, guys get so, because of the way things are approached, guys get their back up quite quickly. Like, whoa, gender equality, women are taking over the world, blah, blah, blah. But if you say, but pause just for one second, let's not talk about those women. Let's just talk about you. And let's talk about what gender equality means for you. So you remember when you were really emotional and you watched that film? It wasn't because you were gay. It was because you're just this awesome, amazing, emotional young guy. It had nothing to do with sexuality. And this is the thing, again, when you start, you know, you, you know and I must say I love your dad, the fact that he has transitioned. You know, because not all parents do that. My parents have done that. 
My parents have have grown and evolved over time. <laughs> you know, stuff that they said and believed when they were younger, they're not there anymore. So that's not all parents do that. So I really salute your dad. But you know, the, again, if you look at the sort of the, the the you know his 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 sort of take, which again, look at how he grew up in a patriarchal society. This has passed on generation to generation to generation. Um, but you you do look at the fact that you either called gay or you called mm-hmm. a girl. And so being gay and being a girl are the two worst things that can possibly happen mm-hmm. to a boy growing up in a patriarchal heterosexual society. You know? And I say I say to young people like now, nah, like what is so bad about right, being right. a woman? Like really think about it, guys. Like, what is so bad? So when I ask guys, why don't you want to be girls? They don't say because you're too emotional. They say because we don't want to get raped. And I find that interesting. They're not saying they don't want to be girls. Or they're saying they don't want to be girls because they don't want to do all the hard work girls do. Like all the cooking and cleaning that we have to do. So it's really, really interesting when you start breaking down and – you know, I think it's very sad because I mean, I'm wow. I'm openly gay. Um, I never, I wasn't openly gay for many, many years for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, but I am now, and and I own that space now. Um, and I do find it interesting. You know, obviously there is always the you know judgment of certain sections of our society. More about what you know. It's about the unhappiness mm. of heterosexual men. Um, seriously, seriously. Um, so for me, it's how do we how do we help <laughs> the next generation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not when they emotional, not have some people around them saying, "Oh, this is linked to sexuality," or "This is linked to gender." People that are part of that, they they really believe that there's this incredible. We just talk about Christianity that there's this incredible God that that made you. You know, and I go, but if God made you and with all due respect, you're four years old and you're doing a lot of crying, surely that's what God wanted. Surely that's what he wanted. Isn't it human beings that have screwed everything up, you know? And yeah. Right, and right. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's interesting. But I have to say, just just sort of to to, sure. to go back. We have to involve the entire community. We have to allow young girls to be whoever they are. Please stop dressing them only in pink. I'm not saying don't ever dress them in pink, but, you know, please stop gendering clothes. I mean, I was in the shower the other day. I rushed around the supermarket. I'd seen something that said something like C on some shower gel. And I thought, oh, that looks really nice. I mean, I love the C. Let me get that. And then I'm in the shower. And I put the gel on and I'm, you know, washing. And I'm like, oh, my <laughs> God. I look at the bottle and it's actually for, it says man on it. It's like this shower gel is for a man. And I thought, oh, my God, even shower gel is gendered. <laughs> like that's how much work we have to do, Benjamin. It's funny that you say that. I tell my wife all the time because it's such an advertising thing, right? I will buy anything with the word power in the title. 
I'm like, you walk down the cereal aisle, you walk down the cereal aisle and you see like power grain cereal. It's in my cart right away. That show how we have to, you know, like how we, how much work we all have to do with our children. You know, I don't have children, but I consider all the children in the world, my children. So, and I treat them all as my children, you know, like I treat them with dignity and respect. But imagine how hard we've got to work because I'm sure there's a lot of, um, people out there that that I mean, obviously, from what you've said, that you know that kind of power stuff sells. Being a, a my master's is in business, right? Being a business guy, a lot of if we if you were to excavate a lot of these problems, I, I think it was Musashi yeah. who said that teaching martial arts for profit will ruin the martial arts, right? A, a lot of this stuff, these issues come back to branding they come back to branding they come back to profit they come back to you get in the martial arts unfortunately you get people the in the industry you get guys that are their personalities right if you look at the big and i'm not going to name anybody okay but just in general if you look at the big names in the self-defense industry what are they selling you said it yourself big bald buff tattooed because that's and it draws in, in a disproportionately male audience because men want to be that man, right? And that for a man to be that man and have other men coming yeah. to them and, you know, wanting to learn to be a man like yeah. fill yeah. in the blank, that's for, for your ego. That's huge. Like that's massive. It's a massive ego feed all the time. But it goes back to you know, the brand and what you're selling, you're selling that product. And again, that loops me back to what we were just talking about. What needs to happen is if if you're ethical, you need to step back and go, why are you in this business? If that's why you're in this business, cool. Then like Rich said, don't sell yourself as a self-defense teacher, sell yourself as captain combat, whatever, whatever. Right. And, if you're a self-defense teacher and you want to do good, how can you do the most good? And it's by doing something like what you're doing. Most of it is a re-education process. It's an empowerment process. It has nothing to do with fighting or tattoos or how much you can bench press. I, I mean, I bought into it 1000%, you know, Mm. and, and it's this kind of unraveling, process of of like unlearning because like you've said rich has said and and we're kind of satelliting around it the the industry itself is probably 90 it's it's inverted right it's everything is backwards we we focus we focus 90% of our effort on physical stuff and it's not, it's re-education, it's empathy. It's, it's, uh, Benjamin, it's not surprising. If you think that 90% of the uh, community is men um, and you've all been, you know, I, I mean, I think it's abused to be honest with you when you stop young people being who they want to be and you stop young people showing emotion it's abuse. And because, again, across all religion and race and um, cultural differences, 
it's it's quite i mean i've i've had i've had the privilege of teaching in a number of countries and when i talk to men in those countries it's not so different and when i talk to women and women's experiences that they're having of men's behavior it's the same you know um and it doesn't surprise me that 90% of the self defense community teach 90% physical because most guys are so out of touch with their feminine side um and they're not able to to have conversations around some of the stuff that I'm very comfortable talking around you know so i think it doesn't surprise me because I mean, imagine all those guys that, you know, we were, we were sort of saying the tattooed and was. Imagine them getting up and saying, talking about some of the stuff that's in our programs. And so I think for me, like, I, the, because we obviously have male and female trainers and, you know, I've got a young guy, um, Tom, that works for me in the UK. Um, and he, you know, he, he, he's kind of, uh, uh, I mean, he's a beautiful guy, but full of tattoos and he's got a Mohican and, but he's an evolved guy, you know, mm -hmm, right. I'm so happy to have met Action Break Silence because I can, I can actually, he can share, like you sharing with me, the stuff that you've, you know, um, the challenges that you've had um, and the fact that you're now having to re-educate yourself and Tom is doing the same thing. So hopefully, I mean, again, if we're looking at hope and evolution, I would really hope that people out there that are listening don't take offense to anything that either you've said or I've said, and that they understand that the, this is not about you and me. This is about us really trying to create a world where women and girls can live with dignity and respect and not be scared and that they're able to blossom and flourish and be the best human beings they can be. And a place where guys are given an opportunity just to be whoever they want to be. And actually that those guys have got a role in changing the world. And the role in changing yes. the world isn't teaching people to fight. The role in the world is teaching people to be comfortable with who they are. Yes, yes. And and be empathetic towards Absolutely. whoever everybody else is. Yeah, right? yeah. It, I want to make sure that we highlight, because you mentioned for a minute, and I felt you, man, I felt you to the core of my being when you were like, money is always a problem. Yeah. I, I, let's let's talk about uh, a little bit about what it's like to run a charity like this. I mean, you are probably like me and you've you've, you've probably been at a loss for years. Right. right. Running this. And, you know, so so for those people that don't understand, because undertaking a charitable outreach like this, yes, it can do tremendous societal good. Um, but there's a lot of burden that comes along with it, not just the, the giant tsunami coming at you and feeling alone and all these other emotional yeah. things we've talked about. But financially, um, this is a huge thing and people like you need help. So let's talk about let's just get down to some of the nuts and bolts business aspects of this so people can understand. So, yeah, I mean, I looking back, I think I was extremely naive in 2013 thinking that I could set up a charity. However, when I look at where it is now and the work that we've done, um, I'm glad I'm glad that I didn't realize it would be so hard. 
you know, one of the <laughs> things you know, on every level, one of the things that is is really been tough is literally from day to day being nervous about financial and money and how will the charity survive. Because, you know, to have a charity, you need to have a board of trustees that in theory govern that charity. And part of their responsibility is to ensure that there's enough money to run the projects that you say you're going to do. So if you look at somebody like you and I, Benjamin, that like are really excited and we are visionaries and we are people that our heart is about service, like I would have a project in South Africa and I would, and let's just say that it would cost, you know, 10,000 pounds. Um, and then I would say to the board, I'm so excited. Um, I'm going to go to South Africa in January and I'm going to run like at, at the beginning, we used to do four hours and four hours. I'm going to run four hour girl program, four hour boy program. Um, and we're going to reach like 3000 beneficiaries. And then they would say, but um, have you told people in South Africa that? And I'd say, yes, <laughs> and then they said, but there's no money. And then I would say, um, oh no, I think there will be money. I feel very, very confident. <laughs> I feel very confident that the money will come. I have to start planning now. Um, and at the beginning, our board also weren't very, very experienced. So they sort of were, you know, a bit, um, bam, a ba what is this weird word, bamboozled by my absolute enthusiasm. So that's something that I, that's been very good for me is I'm very enthusiastic and passionate and I, and I can sell ice to an Eskimo. So they would sort of go along with it. And sure enough, I have to tell you, um, the money did come, but it was always in dribs and drabs. And I have a couple of people in the UK. I have one guy in particular, and I, I, I just won't mention his name because he would absolutely hate it. But he has been like, he gives me about 10,000 pounds a year. And his company that he works for, which is a um, an organization called Capital, they have an incredible thing that if one of their um, staff donate money, obviously senior staffer donate money, the company double match it. So that that was that was something that I knew would come in every year. And then I got some individual donations from people, but. It is, it is really, 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 really hard. And we've been going, you know, we've been going for eight years in the UK um, since 2015 in South Africa and since 2000, just after the Delhi gang rape in India. And it's been a challenge of mine day in and day out. As I said to you, most of that, most of that time, 90% of the time I've worked for free. Um, but luckily I have had my karate businesses and I have an incredible team of instructors that work um, alongside me and teach on a week to week level. So I luckily I have had that, that I've, again, it's about privilege. Hey, Benjamin, I have had that through hard work. It's not a, my karate businesses are built because I spent years and years and years working flat out to build those businesses up. But I have great teams, you know, great teams of support. So I think with, um, you know, where I, where I hope we're going now, and if anyone listening to this obviously wants to reach out, what would what would be amazing for me is that people like you or like-minded people that even if just once a year, they said, you know what, we're going to, in our, you know, in our um, capacity, we're going to raise money once a year for Action Break Silence. I don't know if you're aware, but we on we at in the middle of international 16 days of activism to stop violence against women. It's a UN initiative. Um, and I wanted, I had a dream that for 16 days, I would just need 16 people around the world 
just to raise money for, for, for us on one of those 16 days. And then we could have a whole publicity thing about it. But I guess you know how that goes, huh? <laughs> I don't have, I don't have to I don't have to share the disappointment when you reach out to people and they they don't they don't um they don't like they don't jump on board. So yeah, so so it's been uh, there's not a lot of jumping. No, sure. there's not a lot of jumping. But also I think I think you know you and I have done this long enough now. I mean, I know that Ecuador was extremely disappointing for you, but now you know. Um, at least you know when you do stuff in the future, you've got Rich and you've got me that are going to be on board. Um and when when I say I'm on board, you know, I have a phenomenal team of activists behind me as well. Um so we're at a stage now where because it, because our annual income is really low. So although we've done all this great work, our annual income is low. So that also cuts you out of a lot of funding opportunities um, and all sorts of weird things that you don't think you need. So you have to have three years of audited accounts before some people will give you money. So um, we're now ticking a lot of those boxes and I'm an extremely optimistic person. And I have to say to you now, and this is again, Benjamin, I think one of the things that I've done during lockdown, because this is the first time in, um, in uh, eight years that I have been in the country that I live in, which is the UK, that I've been in the UK for longer. For, I've been in the UK for nine months. Normally, the longest I've stayed in the UK is two months. And I've been out of the country traveling for seven months of the year. So mm. for me, coming back um, and being forced, and I live on my own, so being forced to be with my dog, being forced to be here on my own has given me time for the first time in my life to reflect. So, um, and part of that has been to, to understand the con concept of abundance. Like I might not have the most well-funded charity, but I have got X, Y, and Z, and I am so grateful for that. I might not have 150 best friends because I work all the time, but the handful of best friends I got are outstanding, exceptional people. Um, I might not be totally connected, but look, I'm connected with you today. And that is honestly from the bottom of my heart, awesome, amazing. And I think when I've had this mantra and this mindfulness of abundance, I do feel like I was speaking to some of the South African and UK board this week. I feel like now I actually feel like it's changing. For the first time, I feel all that hardship that you suffered in Ecuador. Mm. I feel like that for me is starting to change. Not for me, but for the awesome. charity. So, yeah. That was something I really wanted to make sure we touched on that because when you said it, I felt it to the core of my being yeah. having been yeah. there, right? Yeah. Like it's so hard and it's scary, right? Like you, because you, you, sometimes you don't know where the, the money is going to come from. And that's, that's an incredibly frightening place to be, right? I think it's incredibly frightening also, Benjamin, because we have trainers in South Africa that work part-time and because of lockdown, our August trip was canceled. All right. Which means that these young people that expected to have eight weeks work didn't. And so it's not only about, you know, the finances of the charity. When you have a charity, it's not only about making sure that you've got money to deliver the pro projects, but it's to make sure that the people involved in those projects are able to carry on doing what they do. Um, and, 
I mean, a really big thing is that you're able to take steady steps forward without going backward, you know? Yes. Um, and yes. that's, that's, a, that's a, for me, been a, a really big thing. And as the founder of the charity and um, the South African CEO, only because we don't have money to pay somebody else in South Africa, <laughs> and I'm the UK CEO only because we don't have money to pay a proper, uh, well, what you call this experience CEO. But the reality of it is, is that you carry the weight of this incredible thing. So you've got quite excited about the programs that we deliver. And I'm extremely excited about the how the journey, it, for me, what feels that's, that, what for me, what lockdown has been, it's been that I've had the clear mind that I've watched these pieces of the puzzle just slowly like shift together. And I'm like, because right, they've right, been right. so disjointed, that kind of has created a lot of like panic, you know, like I'm not good enough and I'm not doing enough. And things aren't coming together enough and whether it's finances or me knowing that this isn't having a big enough impact or I'm not including enough people. And there's just always the stuff where is during lockdown, it was like, I just breathed and I, I watched as programs mm. pulled together. And I realized that everything is still evolving. Of course, life evolves, but I do realize now that all the hard work, all the challenges that we have faced as a charity has been worth it. I'm not a Christian because I, I mean, I find it really difficult that in communities that where you, where you get a community like South Africa, as an example, um, I think 74% of South African community are church going people. All right. I didn't realize that it was such a religious country when I lived there. But they are church-going people, mm. and I think the basis of all religion is amazing. Whether it's whether it, you, you you believe in Islam or Christianity, it's amazing. And we as human beings have messed that up. And so the reason I don't want to say I'm a Christian is because in those communities, if 74% of South Africa is Christian, then it, it means that Christians are raping Christians, you know, Statistically, right. it's Christian people that are abusing children. Statistically, it's Christian men that are hitting their wives. And I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to be linked to that kind of God. Um, but I do, I have to say that I have a, a, an absolute belief in something bigger than me is driving this charity. I am a very tiny one person, Benjamin, like a survivor. You know, I'm, I have loads of damage. But I have this like huge, 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 huge um, light that is that is taken that has taken control of me to drive this charity forward, and I really, really, really do believe that. So I believe at last, after all these years, that fact that I'm acknowledging abundance in my life, and I'm acknowledging people like you and I'm going thank you and I'm going I'm not alone and I have a community around me and all that darkness that I felt for years years and years and years is now being filled by light and that's an incredible incredible like I can honestly I can I can you know really be feel I feel very emotional about that 
Well, I'm going to I'm going to upset everyone right now. Okay, this is me. I'm taking full responsibility, but you're right, right? Like, sorry, Christians, I hate to break it to you. But in many ways, your communities are failing. I mean, I think uh, you touched on it. I mean, I think, you know, I think it was Jeff Thompson who goes, you know, there's violence follows me everywhere. And his wife said, you know, well, you're the common denominator, Jeff, right? Like, you're the common denominator in that equation. I think humanity is broken on many levels. And we need to all do what you're talking about, have, have societal shifts, right? What we're talking about really in this podcast is a societal yeah. shift, a ground level societal shift in gender roles and, you know, uh, a boundary setting and all these things that that will will change this dynamic that's taking place. And it starts with parents and teachers and, and, and giving kids a voice and all these other pieces. But um, I, I just want to encourage you. Uh, I, I, yes, I am a Christian. Uh, Jesus hated religion as well. Right. Like if you actually. It's, it's interesting to me how many Christians seem to not read their Bible, <laughs> because if you if you do, you, you Jesus just blasts the religious constantly. Mm-hmm. Right. Like and 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 the brokenness of religion and religious societies and and how this what you're talking about right now happens. Mm-hmm. Right. You have to think about the plank of wood in your own eye and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um. So, so listen, I want to encourage you because I know where you're at. This, this for me, uh, I love what Rich is doing. It made a whole bunch of lights come on for me and what I teach. But for me, this podcast strikes very close to home because I've been in your shoes, right? Like I've been super emotional the whole time you're talking. I'm just like holding it back. Yeah. Um, uh, you're doing you're doing good and whatever you want to call it god or the universe or you know because there's people for whatever reason they're just diametrically opposed to that idea backs you on this right we're supposed to be like gandhi said be the change you want to see in the world or at least that was attributed to him i don't know if he actually said it but this whole concept of like listen, be that thing which you claim to be, right? Like self-defense begins with defense against the self. That's one of Jeff Thompson's big sayings, right? Like we should all be not just out here trying to make our communities better, but then take it a a step even further, people that are listening in, in the business. Take all that ability to fight and 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 violence and turn it on your own darkness right like look inside yourself change yourself evaluate yourself and ask yourself are you doing as much good as you possibly can with what you have right or are you just feeding your ego and and how are you changing your society and and you may work yourself out of a job i hate to break it to you but hopefully at some point, we can get to a point as a society where we don't need self-defense teachers anymore because we've done so much ground level change that it's not an issue other than dealing with the occasional pure sociopath, yeah. right? 
But I also think the way that people look at stuff, Benjamin, like all the all those people out there, like if if it if if it's hitting a core when Benjamin is saying about ego, is that again I I, I look at it and I go, don't be hard on yourself, like. You know, because you guys yes. have grown up with so much, um, uh, you've been treated in such a toxic way by society that it's not, it doesn't surprise me that so many guys are driven by their ego because there's such pressure on you to measure up. But, but you know, you're not going to be out of a job if you reevaluate what you're teaching. In actual fact, you could become a happier instructor. You could have more depth. Um, and also you could, uh, you could, um, one of the things like, I, I don't know, maybe I can ask you this, um, Benjamin, why do you think it is for all of these guys out there that are such phenomenal instructors, for the ones out there that really want to make a difference in the world, um, why is it that none of you are including, and I'm not talking about physical self-defense for boys. I'm not talking about getting boys to do a million push-ups and kicking them in the face and getting them to man up. But why aren't you addressing, why aren't you, why aren't you challenging toxic masculinity? Like, why aren't you, because you are the role models. Like, why aren't you, why aren't you, why haven't you designed a program um, where you, because you don't have to speak to boys, you are, and you were a boy. Like why? Well, so this is a solid question. Okay. A, I will, I'll just answer this for myself. I can't answer for anybody else. Um, there was a part of me that, that believed that toxic masculinity wasn't yeah. toxic, right? Uh, there's a, there's a military meme blowing around as some bearded up spec ops guy and kitted out and all his stuff. And it said, you know, toxic masculinity protecting snowflakes <laughs> since the beginning of time. Right. <laughs> and you buy into it. You buy into the mythology and you're like, yeah, I'm standing between you and the rest of you weak people and all okay. the real threats yeah. out there. Uh, that's, I think that's part of it, right? That, that you don't see toxic masculinity. And I guess because toxic. it's been normalized and it's reinforced across the entire structural, um, you know, cultural, educational um, spheres, you know, like everything supports that, that, you know, that that sort of alpha male is the lead, you know? Right, which is why this whole re-education process needs to happen, right? From, from the ground up, from the base of the pyramid up, like you're doing. That's why, why outreaches like this are so critical, right? Like I'm sitting here having realizations as we talk like wow i did that wrong wow well now i need to call my son and apologize for that you know like so it, i think it's it's this is again thank you so much for for coming out because like this is the exactly the kind of stuff this like what rich is doing fills so yeah. many of the gaps that exist within the industry. And I, and I really believe in martial arts and I believe in self-defense because it was such a vehicle for me to, 
to to build my confidence and and you know learn to 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 be a man and maybe i learned it wrong right and maybe i'm unlearning some of it and relearning some of it but but i think the vehicle is good right like like it's it's like an old car the 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 design of the vehicle is good. We just need to refit it with, with modern right. amenities. Yeah. My, my daughter and I talk a lot about how the old cars look so much better than the new cars. Let's take this beautiful old vehicle and let's refit it with a Tesla engine and, and you know things that are less polluting and all these modern amenities that make modern vehicles great, but keep the old look and style i'm not please guys in the industry i'm not poo-pooing on martial arts mm -hmm. or self-defense or yeah. any of that stuff it's great it just needs to be refitted right and 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 hopefully i know everybody won't buy off on this but hopefully again we can start to build a community of people that understand the massive impact that this yeah. vehicle can have if it's used correctly and rebuilt yeah. properly. And also, right? I think also the other point, you know, when I was engaging um, in South Africa, when I was out there in January this year, I had a, a, a sort of a day with uh, about 36 or 37 youth from a, a massive diversity um, across Gauteng province. And, I looked at the guys in the group and I listened to them talking about their experiences, you know, um, to do with everything that we've spoken about during this interview, Benjamin. And I was listening to their responses and their, their genuine compassion and empathy that they were showing us as women. And, and I said to them, I, I really, really wish that I knew guys like you when I was 17 and 18 years old, like my entire life would have been different, you know? Um, and I think that that's the, that's the thing for guys out there to realize is that the, it's going back to what I was saying earlier on, there's, there's such unhappiness um, amongst mm. that old fashioned view of what masculinity is it's not working guys if it was working you wouldn't right. be killing yourselves if it was working you wouldn't be right, right, beating right. the shit out of your wife you wouldn't grab a woman that you don't know in the street and just um you know take control of what's not yours and rape her but if you're really honest, right. it, this old-fashioned way of men being brought up is not working. So what can we do as a community to make you happier? And obviously it has to start with you. You've got to sit and have a conversation with yourself. Am I happy? You know? Um, and if you're not able to express how you feel, imagine you can be in a happy place. Because then you're not being the full you, are you? So... You know, and, and so it goes, right. for me, it goes much, yeah, for me, it goes much, much deeper. And, you know, I, for all the, you know, I had one of, I had one of my brother's friends um, in South Africa a couple of years ago, and he, he is um, a Christian and he is, I wouldn't say an alpha man, but very much a man, you know, um, 
he grew up in a patriarchal South Africa, he kept saying to me, can I see you? Can I meet you? Can I see you? And I thought, well, this is a bit, you know, but I mean, I wasn't worried about anything weird. I just thought it's strange because I don't really know him and he's a Christian. I don't particularly want to spend very much time with him because of that. Um, because I've been judged. Huh? I've been judged. Sexuality. Like I right, cannot, right, I, right, even right. if I wanted to enter Christianity, I'm not allowed to most churches because of my sexuality. But anyway, that's another chat. But anyway, this guy, yeah, this guy. Another chat. Yeah. Also bad. Also, hold on. Also, let's also bad Christians. Yeah. Take this, notes. <laughs> not like exactly, Jesus. Exactly, Nothing like Jesus. Exactly. I mean, I've got some amazing Christian friends, but this, um, this guy, eventually I, I, you know, we managed to get some time together and basically what he did is he, he asked me, he said, um, can I hug you? And I said, Sure. Of course, you know, because I could see this was coming from a really good place. And I said, sure. And he embraced me and he broke down and cried. And he said, I am so sorry, Debbie. That I mean, I'm emotional wow. that you have been put through this. I'm not. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. was like, wow, this is like the first time that anyone has apologized. And it was so wow. huge for me that this guy that I, I didn't know very well, that he had reached out and he had acknowledged that. And for me, between that and the young guys that are involved in our youth ambassador program, and I can see what men are at their absolute best. And that's what women want. Want that, right? You know, that's what they want. Right. Well, that's another. There's that's another another discussion too. I just had this discussion with my daughter because she was like, "Well, Dad, you know, like, why?" She asked me, "Why do girls choose yeah. all these douchey guys?" Right. Like, part of it, part of the whole the reeducation process. The system is so broken that you have guys acting the wrong way. You have women choosing the wrong guys. Like you have. It's just yeah. <laughs> like I said before, we have each other now, so we can take a deep breath. We can go back to what we were talking about with the action break silence community intervention. We can understand that we're tackling gender inequality and toxic masculinity, which are the pillars that hold up gender-based violence. And actually that we're talking about community mm. and we're not we're not dissing anybody on the on the entire podcast. We're not, I don't want to, you know, I don't want anyone to take offense to anything we've said because it's not come across in that's from my side, it's never been intended. Um, but if we stand together, we are going to make significant change and we're going to make the world better for your daughter and for people out there, sons. Um, and and you know, that's that for me, when I'm sitting with you maybe one day face to face. And we are in our seventies, drinking a pina colada. No, perhaps we'll celebrate this moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sending you a big electronic hug and a big apology as well. So now you can mark off two. People and I think that, that would be amazing if we extend that that hug that that Mark gave me those years ago. And we extend the virtual huge hug that you're giving to every single woman out there that has gone through yes. um, any form 
of sexual harassment or sexual abuse. Um, and to all the guys out there that have been in a position where you haven't been able to be the true, beautiful, amazing, incredible, sensitive you, you know? Um, and so, yeah, yeah, that's, that's important. Mom and dad, this one's for you. Thanks. <laughs> for sure. For sure. This, that, thank you so much. Thank, I, honestly, this has been transformative for me. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to do this. And, um, you know, we, we talked about some kind of actionable steps that, that we're going to take together. Uh, and please, please send me stuff to put up on the Facebook page and on Instagram so that we can get your story out there and hopefully build a community, not a fraternity, not a patriarchy. Uh, no gender roles, all that kind of stuff. And we can get uh, the, the, the money and the action and, and the appropriate people where they need to be doing what Amazing. they Amazing. Benjamin, do. from my side, it's been really, really an honor. Um, every time I meet, I think because I've had such, had such bad experiences when I was younger, every time I meet an outstanding guy um, that gets it, I really do, um, you know, I'm just extremely um, happy to have found a new friend. Awesome. Well, I, honestly, I, I'm getting it. I wouldn't say I get it. You know, like this has left me feeling like now I need to draft up letters of apology to a bunch of people and go back and be like, I was a toxic male. Can I I'm, tell sorry. You <laughs> I'm sorry. I encourage one of you our, to One of our male. youth ambassadors in South Africa, <laughs> he came to me and he just is visually like, I mean, he was 17. He is 17 years old. He is tall. He is built beautifully. He is like really that kind of um, alpha male in every single sense. And he listened to me talking. I did a talk to a whole bunch of um, high school guys about this kind of stuff. And he came up to me and he said to me, Debbie, I really, really need to be part of your program. And I said, that's awesome and amazing. And he said, you've made me realize that I'm toxified. Uh, my dad, my dad yeah, is toxified I mean, it's a, it's a... and my grandfather's toxified. I don't want to be that kind of father. So men, listen, right? This is, this, there's, I think this really highlights the damaging effects of, of toxic masculinity, right? And, and what toxic masculinity is. It's not bad to be a man. It's not bad to be manly. It's just bad to be abusive and, and, and not express your emotions and all of those things, right? All of those things that, that degrade, they really degrade masculinity at, at its core, um, so, so please, we're not bashing men or, or we actually being anything. opposite, we just, we're being empathetic towards I men. Hope, yeah. 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 So I hope, I hope you can hear it for what it is, right? Like I, my, my, my hope, my prayer is that 
everyone listening hears this for what it is. I mean, I know our biases get in the way sometimes and maybe people will, you know, shut down for whatever reason, but let, let this get out to people's ears and let it be heard for what it is and have the effect that we're hoping for. Debbie, Debbie, thank you so much. This has been transformative for me. I really appreciated it. For sure, Benjamin. Uh, thank you so talk much. Again soon. All right. Thank you. Bye. All right. You have a great day.